Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Feisty, fearless and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And welcome to the Rita Cosby Show on this Christmas Day Eve. I hope you are all having a blessed and beautiful Christmas with family and friends. And I'm praying for peace in the world this holiday as it is such a tumultuous time with Israel and Hamas and Ukraine and Russia and, of course, China and North Korea and Iran and so many others watching it all. And joining us now tonight to talk about all of this is the great Asia expert Gordon Chang. His Twitter feed is Gordon G. Chang, and he's also the author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War, and also the just-released China is Going to War. First of all, Gordon Chang, I love you. Merry Christmas and great to have you here on the show. Well, Merry Christmas, Rita, and it's great to be on your show. Thank you so much. You know, this is such a crazy time in the world. And just sort of first off, your thoughts overall as we're looking at all of these things happening. Uh, as I mentioned, I am really praying for peace in the world uh, this holiday, and I'm just thinking about all the hot spots and how just a very concerning moment, I think, in the world where we're just praying that things calm down, but there's a lot of flashpoints. We're all praying for peace, but the world is falling apart. I mean, it's not just the war in Ukraine. It's not just the war in Gaza. We're seeing insurgencies across North Africa that look like wars. And across the world, there are a number of countries that normally wouldn't do anything um, in a time of peace when they're afraid of the United States, but they're no longer afraid of us. And there are other places that could erupt. So, we are at the point where things can go either way. You've got to remember, Rita, just before World War II, or what we call World War II, there were conflicts and wars across the world, and eventually they merged into what we now call the Second World War. Well, we could very well be at that same stage, um, except that this time um, the, the uh, Axis powers, uh, the new Axis, they're more dangerous than the ones in the 20th century. You know, you talk about the new axis. Who do you see being part of it? And how much do you see this happening where they're cutting the USA out? Well, there's Russia, of course, Iran, North Korea, perhaps Algeria. And behind all of them is China, because Russia could not afford to fight in Ukraine. And Iran could not afford to fight in Gaza were it not for the financial and other support that they get, all of them get from Beijing. How much is Beijing ready uh, for a fight, if you will? And I and I talk about that in the terms of like, as you're talking about with Russia and obviously Iran uh, and also the issue of Taiwan. 
Well, that's a great question. And you have to sort of break it down in the sense that China right now is in distress. The economy um, very well may not be growing. People are extremely unhappy. And Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is presiding over a communist party that is in turmoil, both on the civilian and the military sides. But we see China engaged in very belligerent warlike activity in the South China Sea against the Philippines at Second Thomas Shoal, Scarborough Shoal, and Whitsun Reef. And, of course, there are the threats against Taiwan. I think that Xi Jinping wants to provoke something. He doesn't really want to go for a full war, but he thinks he can intimidate the United States and others into backing down to give him a victory. And at the same time, as you mentioned, he has been fueling the conflicts um, elsewhere. So um, Xi Jinping, I believe, looks at the world and believes that not only can he make great advances by being belligerent, but that he has every domestic incentive to do so. Explain why it is important domestically, um, because as you talk about, there is such a disarray, it seems. And there's a moment here because there is such a vulnerability in some ways in China, as you know, all too well. Uh, talk about what's happening internally in the country. Well, there are two things. Uh, first of all, there's the economy. Um, for decades, the Communist Party has based its legitimacy on the continual delivery of prosperity. But now um, with uh, an economic downturn, which is severe, Um, basically the only basis of legitimacy left for the party is nationalism, which means um, military misadventure abroad. But also internally in the Communist Party, um, there's a dynamics that we often ignore. And that is when Xi Jinping took over as ruler, he inherited a consensual political system where no ruler got too much credit or too much blame because decisions were shared by everybody across the top of the party. Well, as Xi Jinping took power from everybody, he also ended up with accountability. And at the same time, he inherited a political system where anybody who lost a political struggle, it wasn't a big deal because they were treated well. Well, Xi Jinping has treated his adversaries and enemies poorly, which means he's raised the cost of losing a political struggle. You put all this together, and it means that Xi Jinping realizes that he's at risk and that he has a very low incentive of um, he has a very low uh, tolerance of a uh, very low threshold of risk, which means that he can take us by surprise because we don't think that he would go to war, but he could very well do it because of his domestic incentives. That is very interesting, Gordon, um, because it would maybe help him uh, politically. Everybody, we're talking to the great Asia expert, Gordon G. Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. And, you know, Gordon, How much of an opposition is there even in China for President Xi? You talked about that there's some. How vocal and how strong is the opposition? Yeah, we don't know um, with any precision because the Communist Party has become more opaque. But, Rita, we are seeing uh, developments that do not occur unless there is intense political struggle. So, for instance, senior uh, officials have been removed and and have not been replaced. And we're seeing um, wholesale disappearances in the Chinese military. So that doesn't happen unless um, there is infighting of a type that we have not seen in decades. So although we can't exactly explain it, um, we know that the party is in distress. You know, you talked about President Xi. Describe who he is. Not that many people sort of know his whole background. Talk about who he is, Gordon, and how he came to power. 
He is the son of a uh, former high official in the party um, who was a reformist. Um, Xi Jinping grew up um, during the Cultural Revolution, and he was actually sent down, as they say, to the countryside to work on a farm. Um, unlike a lot of other people of his generation who grew disillusioned with the party because of uh, the actions of Mao Zedong, um, who started the Cultural Revolution, Mao, uh, Xi Jinping actually reveres Mao Zedong. And we have seen, um, as Xi has been in power, his trying to adopt Maoist policies. He doesn't have the entire, he doesn't have the full ability to do it, but he is moving in that direction. And we also know that he is a figure of great willpower. He came to power in 2012 um, in a very strange way. Communist Party is factionalized with these groupings that compete and cooperate with each other. Well, Xi Jinping was not identified with any of the main power factions in the Communist Party. He came to power for two reasons. First of all, because he wasn't of any faction, he was everybody's second choice. And second of all, I think that people felt after the years of Hu Jintao, his predecessor, that China needed a stronger leader. And Xi Jinping certainly fit that bill as well. So he became general party secretary. In other words, China's ruler um, through some very fortunate circumstances for him, but certainly unfortunate for everybody else. Describe also the military, because you brought up how it's weak in China, um, civilian, military. How strong is the Chinese military and what are they capable of? Well, China has the biggest military in the world, but it's not a state army. Um, it is actually reports to the Communist Party, not to the Chinese state. And that means its primary role is keeping the Communist Party in power. That also means it's become embroiled in Communist Party politics. And we have seen, for instance, in a critical branch of the Chinese military, the rocket force, it controls almost all of the country's nuclear weapons. There have been 70 officers who've been removed since this summer, including the top two, the commander and the political commissar. While this has been going on, there have been problems in other portions of the Chinese military. And we know this because China had a defense minister, General Li Shangfu, who was last seen in public on August 29th and who was formally replaced on October 24th or 25th. And there's been no replacement for him. Now, China's defense minister is not as important a post as the name implies, but it is nonetheless um, a post of some significance. And the failure to appoint a successor to General Li Shangfu indicates that there is just paralysis at the top of not only the Communist Party itself, but also the Chinese military. So, so what, yeah, military, what, yeah, what does that mean, you know, for us? That's an interesting point, Gordon. Yeah, well, it, it means um, a couple things. Um, so when we talk about China's aggressiveness, we often talk about Taiwan. Now, Taiwan, um, it would be a very difficult task for any military. But China has never in its history had an air, land, sea combined operation, which is what they would need to take Taiwan. With the Chinese military in such a disarray, it is pretty unlikely that there's going to be an invasion of Taiwan anytime soon. 
But that's not to say China won't go to war because China is now engaging, as I mentioned, in acts which um, could lead to war um, in the South China Sea. And there are other things that the Chinese military has been doing which could cause a escalation and a spiral downward into war. So this is a military which is absolutely fascinating because we haven't seen something like this in our lifetimes. Very interesting. Well, uh, Gordon Chang, do me a favor. Stay with us. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. We're going to have a lot more here on the Rita Cosby Show on this Christmas Day after the break with the great Gordon Chang. The Rita Cosby Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And everybody, we continue now the Rita Cosby Show on this Christmas Day. We continue talking with the great Asia expert, Gordon Chang. You know, Gordon, right before the break, we were talking about Taiwan. Uh, President Xi, it just came out recently, it recently leaked out uh, that he warned Biden he plans to take Taiwan by any means necessary. What does that mean to you? Um, that means to me that um, if Xi Jinping is as good as his word, and we have to assume that it is, that at some point he will use military force. You know, all of his predecessors have talked about how Taiwan is an inalienable part of the People's Republic of China. But his predecessors, for the most part, were just going through the motions. It's something that they had to say politically. So they said it, but they didn't really mean it because they weren't um, really preparing to um, invade Taiwan. Xi Jinping is different, because Xi Jinping, unlike his predecessors, has based his personal legitimacy, his credibility, on annexing Taiwan during the period of his rule. So I believe that we have to believe that he will use force at some point. Now, at the moment, I don't think that that's high um, for a number of reasons. And one of them is not only is the Chinese military not prepared, but also Taiwan is going to have its national elections on January 13th. And I don't think that um, the Chinese feel that this would be a good time to invade. Um, But nonetheless, um, I have to, we have to believe that Xi Jinping will, if he can't, Uh, get the Taiwanese to surrender, which I don't think he can because they don't think they're Chinese, then he's going to have to use force and we are going to have to prevent him. So one way or another, we can see that we will have to deter him. And so far, deterrence looks like it's breaking down all across China's periphery, which means we have to be prepared that when deterrence breaks down to use force. You know, you talk about the disinformation game. China seems to be one of the best in the world at that. Uh, what kind of disinformation do you think they might do vis-a-vis Taiwan? And what can we do uh, technically to combat that? 
Yes, President Biden actually warned uh, Xi Jinping during their November 15th meeting um, not to interfere in the Taiwan election, um, which is a nice statement to make. But I don't think Biden is prepared really to do anything. The type of disinformation we see um, are um, falsehoods about uh, the Democratic Progressive Party's governance. I mean, there's always been this, but um, yeah, I think we're going to see far more of it between now and January 13th. Um, but we do know that whatever the, um, Beijing says, their efforts are going to be massive because no other country has a bigger propaganda machine than China does. It doesn't always um, work or it doesn't always work well, um, but it's always massive. And uh, it's been getting bigger and bigger in recent years. What kind of capabilities do we have, Gordon, on the on the back end? Because this has been such a huge issue with, obviously, uh, you know, talking about Russia efforts, uh, you know, uh, many efforts all over the world sort of combating these layers. What kind of capabilities do we have to combat it and to discern what is and what isn't real? Yeah, um, we have Voice of America and we have um, the more effective Radio Free Asia. Um, but we have allowed um, our information capabilities to wither. And that occurred, of course, after the Cold War, uh, when we thought it was no longer important. Um, and so we have got to build those back up because we are in an information war and um, we are not paying attention to it. We're not putting resources in it. Um, so um, here we're basically leaving the field open for China. One of the things, though, is that um, almost by not having a big propaganda effort, um, it, it means that a lot of the the news that comes out of the United States, including your show, is not considered to be propaganda and has more credibility. But nonetheless, we need unified messages. Um, so there's got to be more effort in that. Yeah, and how do we get that together? And how? Uh, why is China so successful at their information war? They seem to be one of the best at it. Well, they put enormous amount of money into it, Rita, which is the reason why um, they are able to do things. And and essentially, um, we have seen changes in the way China does propaganda. Um, and it has tried to be put out information in a more neutral way to sort of create credibility. But then it puts out um, propaganda, which is obviously false. Also, they have um, control over something called TikTok, um, which reaches uh, something like 160 million Americans. And uh, China has used TikTok, um, for instance, to propagate Russian disinformation about Ukraine. They, they did that last year. And recently, they've been um, amplifying disinformation about Hamas and the October 7th attacks. So um, Beijing has been able to reach a lot of people, which is one explanation why so many um, college kids in America um, have been expressing support for the Palestinian cause and have themselves been um, amplifying anti-Semitic uh, anti uh, themes. Wow. Very insightful. That's really interesting and so timely. Uh, Gordon, stay with us. We're going to have a lot more with you right after the break on this Christmas Day where we are praying big time for peace.
Rita Cosby is on. And in tonight's Back to Blue segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, where we get to honor our great men and women in blue, our great law enforcement, and also their families. A powerful story from Deltona, Florida. When deputies rushed to the rescue of a five-year-old girl who accidentally shot herself in the leg with a firearm that she found under a bed, deputies with the Volusia County Sheriff's Office arrived at a home and found the girl conscious and alert but bleeding. The deputies worked quickly to administer aid, apply a tourniquet, and carried the child out to Deltona Fire and Rescue. She was transported to a local hospital where staff reported that the rapid response and tourniquet application by the deputies no doubt saved her life. And the Volusia, Florida Sheriff Office said, quote, we are praising our deputies. Their response, noting that the hair on the back of my neck, this is from the sheriff himself there, stood up listening to these deputies when they were on their body cams, rendering the aid to this five-year-old girl. What an outstanding example of decisive action and compassion by all involved. And what a great story. Thank goodness this little girl is safe and great work, of course, by our deputies trying to save her life and being very successful at doing that. A beautiful story of the great work our men and women in blue do and the very difficult situations they find themselves in every single day. And everybody, we continue now talking with the great Asia expert, Gordon Chang. His Twitter feed is Gordon G. Chang. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War, and also the just-released China is Going to War. You know, we were talking before the break, Gordon, about, obviously, the mis, you know misinformation, disinformation war. I also want to talk about what's happening with our administration uh, vis-a-vis China, how we are not really doing anything to hold them to account. And also, look at what's happening on our southern border. You know it all too well. It's a leaky sieve. And there's been a whole bunch of Chinese people crossing our southern border of late. Yes. And of late, the composition of Chinese coming into our country appears to have changed. If we go back 18 months, a year ago, we saw Chinese families come across our border. And that's a real indication of uh, problems inside China, um, that people have just given up on their own country. But recently, the composition of Chinese are are almost entirely um, uh, men of military age, traveling in packs of 5 to 15, um, pretending not to speak English, um, and traveling, you know, without family members. And U.S. Border Patrol knows that some of them have links to the Chinese military. So we've got to be extremely concerned. And the reason why is just remember that lab, um, that secret Chinese biological weapons facility in Reedley, California, that was discovered by a building inspector. Um, inside of that lab, there were thousands of vials of disease at least 20 different pathogens, including Ebola, from what we can tell. And there were almost a 1,000 mice that had been genetically engineered to spread disease. So the logical conclusion, Rita, is that some of those young men coming across our border 
um, would link up with facilities like the one in Reedley and be spreading um, disease around the United States. But they could also be um, bombing our grid, uh, starting wildfires, poisoning reservoirs, exploding devices in shopping centers, um, all sorts of things that they could be doing. Um, and the other thing about our southern border, um, apart from uh, these operatives that look like are coming across our border, is that we're seeing record amounts of fentanyl um, made from Chinese compounds uh, coming into the United States. So um, this is deliberate policy on the part of Beijing. And so we have all sorts of Chinese threats at our southern border. And by the way, it's not just the Chinese. You have Iranians and you have Venezuelans who also look like they're operatives coming into our country. You know, you talked about uh, all these different nationalities. How much are they working in cahoots? They seem to be working in cahoots overseas. How much are they working in cahoots to cross our southern border? And who knows what they're planning here in this country, Gordon Chang? Yes. And some of them have, you know, some of of those who have been apprehended are on the terrorist watch list. And also U.S. Border Patrol has seized explosive devices used in terrorist activities. Um, in some of these um, border crossers. Um, whether the Iranians are working with the Chinese and the Venezuelans, um, we have to assume that they are. Um, but even if they're not, they're just the sheer numbers um, have, give, have to give us cause, cons- cause for concern. Remember, it took only 19 terrorists on 9-11 to kill 2,977 Americans on one day. And we're letting in um, potentially thousands, maybe tens of thousands of terrorists. So this is an existential threat. And, and the Biden administration doesn't seem to be concerned because they're not tracking these individuals once they're released into the United States. You know, we don't seem to be very strong on China. I mean, especially the Biden administration, I should say. Uh, President Trump certainly made it uh, a topic of his campaign and certainly was tougher on China. Talk about the contrast between the administrations, because the Biden administration, Gordon Chang, seems to be giving them a free pass. Biden seems mostly giving them a free pass. He has done a couple things which are good, but on balance, um, Biden has allowed the Chinese pretty much to do what they want. And while we're talking about terrorism, um, we should mention what um, Biden did on his first hours in office, uh, you know, January 20th, 2017. President Trump in 2020 issued an executive order that banned the importation into the United States of electrical grid equipment from China. And the idea was that he was trying to prevent China from having equipment in place that could be um, manipulated at a time of war. In the first hours in office, Biden repealed that Trump executive order and put nothing else in place um, to protect us. So that shows you the mentality of President Biden. I mean, why would he think, why would he do it in the first place? But why would he do it in the first hours in office? That seems to me to be incomprehensible. So um, we have to be extremely concerned about our our current president. You know, while we're talking about Trump, remember, Trump put the Chinese in their place. He did that in his first year in office where he had Xi Jinping as a guest at Mar-a-Lago. And over dinner, that beautiful chocolate cake, as Trump said, Trump got up and announced that he had 
um, authorized a missile attack on Syria. Now, Syria happens to be a Chinese friend, and Xi Jinping, um, for the rest of Trump's term, um, was relatively manageable. And that's because Trump put him in his place at that dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Biden won't do that. Um, and so we have a contrast in the way that uh, the 45th president handled the Chinese and the way the 46th is doing so now. Yeah. And talk about the good things. What What is Biden doing that you think is good with the Chinese? Because I'm scratching my head here as I'm listening to you, Gordon Chang. He has put in place um, restrictions on the transfer of chips, chip making equipment and some technology which clearly has um, military implications or uses. Um, but he hasn't done a lot of things which needed to be done. And, and perhaps the most important is um, Biden has been dog whistling to American business that it's okay to stay in China, where Biden should be, um, and this is what Trump did. Um, Trump tried to get American business to lead China, to change their supply chains, to make those supply chains more resilient by not being in China. And Biden has basically done the opposite. Um, so I think that that is the overall context for seeing that, uh, you know, today, the threat that China poses is more obvious than it was during the Trump years. And so Biden has not been totally um, lax on it, but he has done the least that is politically possible. And that is the issue. If we had a president who was defending us, he'd be doing a lot more. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Gordon Chang, stick with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that spy balloon that we all heard about and also the Wuhan lab. All of that when we come back here on the Rita Cosby Show on this beautiful Christmas day as we're talking about so many hotspots around the world. It's the Rita Cosby Show. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And everybody, we are back here on the Rita Cosby Show. We continue now with the great Asia expert, Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, I brought up the spy balloon. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, you know, whatever happened to that, we never clamped down on that. Was that obviously what were they doing? And how concerned should we be that they continue with it? Yeah, I think they were doing a couple things. Um, you know, we heard Mark Milley uh, just before he uh, retired um, as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He said the Chinese did not turn on their instruments on the spy balloon. Well, that's hard to believe. But even if it were true, what China found out was invaluable because they saw our reactions to an obvious violation of our airspace. And he saw the failure, not only of the Oval Office, but he also saw the failure of the Pentagon. And that I think um, is information that they could not have gotten any other way. Um, You know, in terms of, you know, we did shoot it down uh, later uh, as it left uh, the coast um, into the Atlantic, but that thing could have been shot down over Alaska as it entered U.S. airspace for the first time, which is what we should have done. 
Um, but the, other, the underlying story here is that their flying a large object over our country showed the utter disrespect that Xi Jinping has for President Biden, because this was a clear violation of our um, sovereignty. It was an attempt to gather intelligence, which I believe was extremely successful. And we saw that basically a lack of response on the part of both the Pentagon and the Oval Office. How dangerous do you think it is when you talk about how dangerous you said most consequential? Is it short term, long term? What are we looking at? Well, we're looking at uh, China and Russia um, feeling that they can do what they want. Um, And we got to remember that, uh, you know, this is this is dangerous because uh, when you add all the elements in. A lot of people of my age, you're too young, Rita, so you wouldn't remember this. Thank you um, very but, much, Gordon. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. And a lot of people say, well, that was the most dangerous moment in history. Or you could say the year before, 1961, the Checkpoint Charlie Crisis in Berlin, where American and Soviet tanks faced off against each other within feet um, of each other. Um, in in Berlin. And and you could make an argument those were the most dangerous moments in history. But we now know from the archives, from both the Soviet archives and ours, that neither Kennedy nor Khrushchev, the Soviet leader at the time, was prepared to use nuclear weapons. We do not know that at this time about Putin or Xi Jinping. But we do know that both of them have threatened to use their most destructive weapons. Um, And so we have to be concerned that they are actually as good as their word, which makes this time of heightened confrontation around the world in a time of war, I think, more dangerous than 1961, Checkpoint Charlie, or 1962, Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. And how much do you believe also China is really the ones pulling the string with Russia? It's not the reverse. I believe that because remember on February 4th, 2022, Um, Vladimir Putin was in uh, Beijing for the opening ceremony of the Beijing Winter Olympics, and China and Russia issued their 5,300-word statement that declared their no-limits partnership. It was only 20 days after that that Putin invaded Ukraine. Since that time, China's been providing lethal assistance to Russia. It's been uh, with elevated commodity purchases. It's been effectively financing the war. Chinese diplomats um, support the Russian war effort. Chinese propaganda, as we talked about through TikTok and other means, um, are amplifying Russian disinformation. Um, So across the board, Beijing has been supporting um, Russia. And, And you can make the same case with regard to Iran and its proxies attacks on Israel. Um, So China has made those attacks possible with its elevated purchases of Iranian oil. In the first nine months of this year, China's purchases of Iranian oil was 60% above that in the comparable period in 2017. 2017 is relevant because that's the last year before the Trump administration reimposed sanctions on the purchase of Iranian oil. So basically, Iran can afford to attack Israel through proxies because China is providing the support. Also, China supplies weapons to all three Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthi militia, and China's diplomats support Hamas in the war effort. And, of course, uh, Chinese propaganda supports 
um, the attacks on Israel. Oh, and one other thing. Chinese vessels in the Red Sea are not answering Israeli distress calls, which is inhuman. But you put all that together, China is behind the attacks on Israel. It's behind the attack on Ukraine. And as I mentioned, uh, China and Russia are um, supporting insurgencies and wars in North Africa. Wow. You know, what you just said also, uh, it was really amazing that they're not answering the Israeli distress calls. Uh, so they're leaving Israel high and dry, which sends a signal of what side of the war they are, right? Clearly? Clearly. But it's also, it, it says something else. And that is that it took centuries for the world to develop norms um, of behavior. And um, not answering a distress call. I mean, it, it's China is um, taking down um, this, these, these norms of what we consider to be um, the behavior that all of us should follow. So essentially what we've got against China is not just a fight with China. This is a struggle to maintain civilization. So we're fighting for civilization right now, and we've got to understand the stakes of it. The Chinese Communist Party views the United States as an enemy, believes that it cannot exist um, with as long as the America is is in existence, so they see us as a, a mortal enemy. But this is beyond just China and the U.S. This is a fight for civilization. Yeah, that's a biggie. Um, and we have a few minutes left here, Gordon. And I want to make sure I don't forget about the Wuhan lab uh, because there were some newly released documents, and it talked about coronavirus research, a proposal that revealed that scientists were concerned about safety at the Chinese lab, that U.S. officials uh, were aware of it and sort of turned a blind eye. What are your thoughts about, first off, um, how dangerous the Wuhan lab is and how much do you believe that it was to blame for the virus? Yeah, I believe that SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, was engineered. Um, it's, it's, we don't have a hundred percent proof of that, Rita, but it's, it's obvious and clear from not only the revelations of this past week, but also of all the information that we have had going back from almost the beginning of the pandemic. And, and we got to remember, um, that we know a lot because we funded much of this research. Um, in 2014, President Obama issued a moratorium on the federal funding of -of gain-of-function research because um, the scientific community thought it was too dangerous. But one Anthony Fauci, whose name you might remember, um, decided that gain-of-function research was so important that he was going to pay for it in what he should have known was a Chinese biological weapons facility, which is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, State Department in 2018 sent an inspection team there, um, and they noticed um, a number of uh, failures to meet established safety protocols. Um, But you go down the list, um, and the one telling piece of evidence that just is so striking is that after the lab leak, China sent its top biological weapons expert, uh, General Chen Wei uh, of the People's Liberation Army. They sent her there to um, administer the, uh, the BSL um, lab there. Um, and so why would they send their biological weapons expert, a major general in the Chinese army, to uh, clean up the lab? You know, so that to me says that this was engineered. 
And do you believe we'll ever know for sure uh, where it came from? And do you think that at some point, maybe some Chinese expert, I know a number of them suddenly disappeared, Gordon, as you know. Um, but do you think at some point somebody will come forward and say, yeah, here's here's what we know and, and defect uh, from the country or or somehow have some intelligence that gives us resolution once and for all? At some point, we will know, or at least humanity will know. Um, and the reason is that this um, effort was too extensive, too large um, to completely smother the truth. And the Chinese um, are, are brave and somebody's going to tell us. Now, it may not happen in our lifetimes. I, I think it will. But uh, eventually the truth will come out. And we will see a couple things. We will see, of course, Chinese maliciousness, but we will also see naivete on the part of a guy named Joe Biden, who, with all of his conversations with Xi Jinping, has yet to raise the issue of the origins of COVID-19. Yeah, that is stunning. You are so correct. And that is just shocking, I think, to the world after so many people who died and so many families and others deserve answers. Uh, well, Gordon Chang, thank you so much for joining us on this Christmas Day. Wow, what a powerful conversation. You're the best in the business. You know so many of these layers to this. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you joining us on such an important topic, Gordon. Well, thank you, Rita, and, and Merry Christmas. And, and more important, have a safe new year. Thank you. You too, my friend. And everybody, much more ahead on The Rita Cosby Show after the break.